Well, we are right in the middle of our series, right in the eye. And if you missed the first two, or maybe you fall asleep halfway through this one and you want to like figure out what happened, you can go online to our website. All of them are there, our podcast as well. You can get caught up on that. But we've been in the book of Judges and we're taking a look at uh, this kind of this period of time between when Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt and uh, then uh, got them to the promised land. Joshua kind of got them into the promised land, got them tucked in, you know, kind of settled. He, uh, he died. And then for about 300 years, there's this span of time uh, between uh, when Joshua had died after he leads him in the promised land and then the establishment of the monarchy under King Saul and then King David. And so for 300 years, the idea was during this time that God was the king and uh, he had given his law and, and Israel was kind of governed by these leaders, these uh, kind of military leaders called judges to help administer the law. And if you kind of look at the whole sweep of the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament to this point has pointed up to uh, this moment. Uh, back in Genesis, God had made this covenant with Abraham that he was going to create this community that was going to be in relationship to God and uh, they were going to be a light to the world and there was this long waiting period of uh, just decades under the patriarchs wandering around, centuries of slavery in Egypt. 40 years in the wilderness, and then uh, another decade or so of conquest under Joshua, battle after battle. And it all led to this time that we're going to read about right now. And for the first time in human history, a generation of human beings has the opportunity to live freely under the direct rule of God and to be a community of such love and light and righteousness that all the peoples on the earth will be blessed by it. That's the opportunity that these people have. And it was a disaster. It was just this terrible, terrible dark time in the life of ancient Israel because they went through this cycle. This cycle where uh, they would be disobedient to God. They'd disobey the law of God and then there would be a disaster and they'd face the consequences of their decision kind of like all of us have done. And then God would come along and he would raise up a man or a woman to be a judge, to be kind of this military leader who would deliver them uh, and kind of get things straightened out and the people, just like us, like we, they're all like, oh yeah, God, God, if you get me out of this, whew, never going to do that again, God. Never, 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 ever going to do that again. God, just please, please, God, just you know, let my parents be asleep when I get home. And God, please, please let, uh, let my husband not find out or my wife not find out. Just let, let them not find out like, what I've done. God, God, please, I promise. You've all done one of those. You know? And then God bails you out or things just kind of work out. And next thing you know, you're right back in trouble. Well, Israel went through this over and over and over in this period of the judges. And then at the very end of the book, the book ends on this real dark kind of ominous note. And here's what it says. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. In, that, in other words, kind of everybody kind of looked around at other people instead of looking up at God. And they saw what was going on around them and, and they got in trouble because they were looking around instead of looking up. And all of us can look back to a time, you know, in our lives when instead of looking up, we looked around. And Israel decided to become like all the other nations. And in fact, they did become like all the other nations. And then over time, as they expressed their freedom, like, oh God, we don't want to follow your law. As, as they expressed their freedom, they lost their freedom. And they were captured by the very nations that they had copied. And they found themselves in a place that they didn't want to be. 
And this happened over and over and over and over and over. And just during this 300 years, there was 12 judges, kind of 12. Uh, six were real well-known, six were lesser known. Um, but the one we're going to take a look at today is uh, maybe the most well-known is a guy by the name of Samson. And the reason Samson is such an important person in the book of Judges and the, the reason he's such an important person to us is that Samson in some ways was kind of a, a microcosm or a reflection of what was happening in the nation of Israel. And as we're going to see at the end of today's message, it might be a reflection of what's going on in your life and in my life as well. Because the truth is there's a little bit of Samson in all of us. Now, God had established the nation of Israel to be a light to the rest of the nations, or to kind of be a reflection of his glory to the nations. And God had a very, very specific purpose and plan for the nation of Israel. And in the same way as we're going to see, God had a very specific purpose and plan for Samson as well. A special gifting, a very specific role he was supposed to play in the nation of Israel. In fact, he was so going to be so gifted and he was going to attract so much attention that the idea was his purpose in life was to reflect that attention back to God. To be able to say, okay, the reason I'm so strong and the reason I can do these amazing things is because God's Spirit rests on me. Just like Israel was supposed to say, okay, the reason you know, like God's blessed us is because God's Spirit rests on us and He is the one true God. And, but just as Israel, during this period of the judges, lost track of God and kind of you know, took their eyes off the road and off the car in front of them and kind of got outside the guardrails. They looked around. They were like, hey, we want to just be like the people around us. Samson did the exact same thing. His problem was that he looked around and he wanted to be like all the other men. And even though he knew God's law, and even though he was a judge, he was like a leader in Israel, and even though he had been called to a very, very specific role, Samson decided, you know what? Like when it comes to my appetites, and specifically, when it comes to my sexuality and, and sex, I'm going to be just like everybody around me. And Samson's story, his starts off like a lot of Bible stories starts, you know, like there's this man and the woman, and they can't have a baby, yeah, right? You know, there's all these stories, they, they can't have a baby, and then an angel shows up you know, and uh, tells them like they're going to have a what? It's always a, a son. You know, always a son. It's kind of like, spoiler alert, you know, this is sort of their, their, uh, their uh, gender reveal party. You know, oh, angel shows up. Oh, it's going to be a boy. Okay, you know, we're going to have a kid. So the angel shows up and says, okay, this kid that you're going to have, this son is going to be very special and the Spirit of God is going to rest on your son in a very unique way and God is going to use your son to do some extraordinary things. And God has something so specific in mind for him that you are going to raise him, you're going to raise him to be different than other people to be separate, sort of called out to do some extraordinary things. And the angel of the Lord told Samson's parents that he was going to be raised as a Nazarite. Now, the idea of a Nazarite comes from Numbers chapter 6, where God says if people want to devote themselves in a special way to God for a certain period of time, like the season of commitment, kind of like how we do for Lent, you know, like, oh, I'll give this up for Lent or kind of devote this to God. That's kind of the idea here is like, oh, you could take a Nazarite vow. And there's actually three vows involved in this. So first thing, you can't touch a dead body. So you know, I'm not sure what you do if a mosquito lands on you. You just kind of blow it away or something. Uh, you can't touch any dead body. You can't, touch, uh, you can't drink wine or grape juice or you, know, you can't like raisins. Nothing, nothing associated with, uh, with wine at all. Third promise, you can't cut your hair. No razor may be used on your head. 
In fact, the word razor in Hebrew is hupai, which is where we get the word hippie from. That's not true. I just, I just wanted, to, I wanted to see if you were listening. Okay, so, uh, so yeah, can't cut your hair. There's nothing moral about this stuff. In numbers, like there's just temporary vows, that kind of symbols, just concrete reminders that somebody has devoted themselves to God for a certain period of time to do something for God. And then when you're finished, like, hey, you know, you're, you're done. Go, go have some wine or whatever, you know, cut your hair. But um, you would stop observing those three symbols. But for, for Samson, like this wasn't a temporary kind of deal. This was to be a lifestyle. And God's like, okay, he needs such a strong sense of internal devotion to me um, that there's going to be certain options in his life that he needs to say no to. And so he needs to make these vows. And so Samson didn't really get to decide this, but Samson got to decide whether he was going to lean into this and whether he was going to you know, um, be faithful to what God had called him to do. So as Samson becomes a teenager, he gets sent to the borderlands, basically to be border patrol between uh, Israel and the Philistines. And you know, the Philistines during this time, they're, they're kind of like the Klingons. You know, they're like, they're always the bad guy for Israel and the, they're all, are all around. And he's kind of watching the border between them. And uh, he's around other young men his age. And they're like, oh, there's something different about Samson because he's got this extraordinary strength. Now, sometimes I think we think of Samson as just being kind of like this you know, extraordinarily large guy with huge rippling muscles, you know. But the problem is, like, when you, you like, meet a really, really large guy with huge muscles and they're able to be, do these extraordinary things, like, nobody's surprised. Nobody goes like, oh, I can't believe he can pick that up. Well, of course he can pick it up. You know, look at him. Uh, so the thing about Samson is he probably, you know, looked like me, except for the hair. You know, it was like, you know, you know it's just like, it just like, just normal, ordinary, you know, or it looked like you because you're out of shape too. Yeah, it was like, like, no, he didn't look like Corey or Al or somebody. He's like, just kind of a normal, normal dude. And, and then he would do all these things and the idea was like, ah, oh, it's the Holy Spirit. Um, so, uh, I, I, he was just kind of probably average looking, but when the Spirit of God came on Samson, he could do these extraordinary things. And he got recognized as a leader because of his kind of natural giftedness, his ability with, with, uh, with the Holy Spirit there. And eventually he becomes a judge. So he's this border patrol agent, basically, between Israel and the Philistines. And that's where the story begins to get interesting. Because as he worked on the border and as he defended his country from the Philistines, he became enamored with Philistine women. And apparently every once in a while at night, he would kind of like creep across the border and go down to these border towns and meet with these Philistine women. Now, a couple problems here. First of all, like they're the enemy. Second, it was very, very risky because like they hated Samson. If you read the whole story, like he cost them a lot of money and just thousands and thousands of Philistine soldiers died because of him. And he was just this such great leader, this strong guy. But over and over, he found himself in trouble with Philistine women. In fact, one of the first things that we're told about Samson, uh, other than his birth, is that Samson went down to Timnah and saw, because that's where it all begins, right? <laughs> that's always what got in, him into trouble. He saw there a young Philistine woman. And then he goes home, and when he returned home, he said to his mother and father, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now, get her for me as my wife. Okay? Now, you notice when you look at these verses, he doesn't say, you know, there was this young lady in this reading group, you know, and I was just like so captivated by her mind, you know, or, or you know, like we were serving together and I was moved by her compassion and charmed by her personality and character. No, he just saw her. Yeah, that was it. That was, that was all it took for him. 
And his mother and father replied, and this is just so parents, right? His mother and father replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives? So apparently they lived in like the, the south of Israel. Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must they go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? In other words, like, look, they're not even God's covenant people. Okay, Samson, come on, think with me. Samson, you're special. Everybody knows you're special. Everybody knows you've been called by God. I mean, like, like your birth was predicted by an angel, for goodness sake. Okay, so, so God has something special for you. You of all people shouldn't be like going down and getting involved with Philistine women. And now you want us to go get you hooked up with this person who's not even from our people. Plus, it was against the law, the law of Moses that, that Joshua reminded him of. Don't marry their women. Not because he was against interracial marriage. had nothing to do with that. But it was kind of like, you know, like when a, uh, a Viking fan and a Packer fan get married. You know, they kind of bring all their idols together, their, their, jet, their shirts and their, their banners and like posters and all that kind of stuff. And they're just kind of mingle them together. That's kind of the same idea, a similar way. The problem with marrying outside of Israel was like when you would get married to somebody else, you'd bring all your household gods. And God knew that this was going to dilute the worship of the one true God, him. And so God was against those marriages, not because of race, but it had to do with religion. And so the parents say to him, like, well, can't we find you a nice, sweet girl here at home? But Samson continues. Samson said to his father, get her for me. Such sensitive language. This would be so special if you were the woman, right? Get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now, it's interesting, that little phrase right there, right one for me, kind of parallels and, and matches almost exactly that phrase at the end of the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, the story ends up in tragedy. Uh, he goes down there, gets married. Uh, then He's in Philistine territory for his wedding. He humiliates all the Philistines. They kick him out of the country. They take his wife from him, marry her off to someone else, and then at the very end of the story, she ends up getting burned alive because of her association with Samson. It's this total disaster. And then there's another story in his life. He goes over the border another night and he sees another Philistine woman. And again, he gets surrounded. He has to come out and do this supernatural feat of strength and escape. Samson is just like this walking impulse control disorder. Like he's just completely irresponsible and he's completely eaten up with lust for Philistine women. And he continues to do what is right in his own eyes. And he disregards the fact that God has called him to do something unique for his people. Now, that's kind of the summary. You should go back and read the whole story. Uh, Samson breaks his first couple Nazarite vows in there with wine and with uh, dead things, and he gets into all kinds of trouble. But the story kind of slows down, and the details really begin to develop when we get to this woman right here. And most of you guys have heard of her before, Delilah. Now, I'm going to tell you some of the story and give you a little bit of detail. But the interesting thing about the story, and maybe this is more true for women than for men, but when you read this for the first time, you think... Really, can any man be that stupid, <laughs> right? Like, 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 is it possible for any man to be so worked up over de with desire over a specific woman that he would make the same stupid decision over and over and over? And men, we know the answer. The answer is yes, yeah, yeah, right? This is the story of male stupidity on steroids. I'm like telling you, you first read the story and you think like, that can't be true, you know? But the longer I live and the more stories that I hear, you know, this might be average, you know, this might not even be extraordinary. So you read the story, part of you goes like, could a man be that stupid? But every man here is like, 
Well, you know, at some point, like there's some point in your life you've gotten so worked up over a woman or the, even just the image of a woman or the idea of a woman that you've done some of the dumbest things in your life. Like, isn't that true? Like you spent money and, and you did stuff and you, you just look back and you think, well, how could I have been so what, stupid? How could I have been so stupid? Because sex, man, that's powerful. And the fact is that the desire for sex is probably one of the most powerful things there is. And it just drives us to do crazy things. So when you read the story, or when I tell you the story, if there's something in you that's like, well, yeah, there's no way any man would be that stupid. No way that a desire for a particular woman would drive a man to these extremes. Like, It's absolutely possible because sex is a powerful thing. And it's a wonderful thing. Like God made it, uh, but outside the bounds of how God created it, it's just this destructive thing. And you don't have to be a Christian to believe that. You just have to have lived a few years to understand that. Okay, so back to Samson. Uh, it says, sometime later he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek. So once again, he's someplace he should not be looking at things he shouldn't be looking at. Fell in love with a woman whose name was Delilah. But this, but this time, this is different. This time he's really in love. Like, oh yeah, like, oh man, like, I'm so, you know, like, you know, I know, like, uh, this is not one night stand. Not like that first, my first wife, you know, and sorry, she got burned up and stuff. But, you know, forget about that. Like, I've had a couple other two, but, you know, like, this is the one. This is the one for me. And, and so the rulers of the Philistines find out that, you know, Samson's all about Delilah. And it says, the, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him. See if you can lure him. Think about that word for a second. What's a lure? Well, it's something that's not real that you jiggle in front of a fish and then they go, oh, good. And then they go, oh, bad. Yeah, it's got, it's got hooks in it. See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Now, modern day, you know, current currency, they'd be about $90,000, you know, more or less. It's, it's hard to figure out inflation over 3,300 years, but we think it's about, you know, $90,000. So, so Delilah says to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Now, I don't think this conversation was like over dinner, you know, <laughs> I was like, I don't think this is over coffee and I don't want to go into too much detail, but she's like, hey, tell me the secret of your great strength, how you can be tied up and subdued. Now, that should have been his first clue, right? Like, okay, like, what, you want to know how I can be subdued? Like, well, obviously he was already subdued, otherwise, you know, she wouldn't have felt like she could ask that question. So Samson answered her, well, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Now you read the whole story, and I haven't read it all, but like you read the whole story thinking like, Samson, you, have, you are uniquely gifted. You have this unique opportunity. You've been set apart. Like God has set you apart to do some amazing things. Why would you even consider how you can be just like any other man? Why would you want to be average? Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. And then, with men hidden in the room, don't let your mind go there, uh, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. 
And that's where the story should have ended. Right? Right? Oops, big mistake. Trust in her. You're not going to do that again. Then Delilah said to Samson, you made a fool of me. You lied to me. Right? That's the issue here. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. It's like, okay, well, you know, okay, it wasn't really bowstrings. It's new rope. You got to use brand new rope. So same thing happens. She gets him drunk. He passes out. He wakes up and he's all tied up with new rope. Surprise, surprise. And she says, like, the Philistines are coming. The Philistines are coming. He jumps up, boom, snaps the ropes. He chases the Philistines off. And Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Come on, Samson. And I was like, tell me how you can be tied. And he's like, all right, all right. I've been lying. You're right. What you need to do is, and here's the point where you're going like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Like you keep waking up, you know, and it just so happens the very thing that you told her that had to be done was, was happened. Like, okay, like you are so stupid. But Samson wasn't stupid because he's Samson. He's, he's stupid because he's a man and, you know, and she is whatever she is and offering whatever she's offering. And it just overpowers his common sense. And it over, you know, over, overpowers his desire to be what he was set up to be. So he says, okay, well, what you need to do is you need to get like a loom kind of a deal and, and braid my hair through the loom. And, you know, he's kind of getting closer. And so she does all this. And sure enough, he's asleep. And she's like, oh, the Philistines are coming. And he wakes up and tears the whole thing apart, and walk, you know, chases him out and does what he always has done. And then she said to him, I love this. How can you say I love you when you won't confide? I thought, Samson, I thought you loved me. No, I thought this was real. I thought, I thought we had something here, Sam. You, 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 how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, okay, it's in the Bible, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. If I can't get it one way, I'm going to get it the other way. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God. I've been set apart. Angel predicted my birth. And God called me to set me up for something different and something amazing. And, and so when people see me with my long hair, they know there's something special about me and they see my great strength. They'll know the Spirit of God resides on me. But, you know, I love you, Delilah. So I'm going to tell you the truth. I've been dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. Be just like everybody else. And he gets drunk and he goes to sleep and he wakes up with a haircut. And the hair deal, this is like the last vow. It's the only vow left that he hasn't broken. And he started out with such promise devoted to God. He's gotten this far in his life with only one vow he hasn't broken and now he does because he never learned to say no to his appetites. This man who started with such potential breaks his last vow. Look at verse 20. Delilah has his hair cut off. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll just do what I've always done. I'll go out as before and shake myself free but he did not know that the lord had left him he didn't even know he had been relying on himself for so long in his own giftedness that he didn't even know that the spirit of god who had worked in him since he was a young boy had left him 
The Spirit of God had left him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, which had been his problem the whole time, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, like just in case, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. And he dies in shackles. He dies as a, very, as a prisoner of the very people whose lifestyles he tried to emulate. How could anyone be so stupid? Well, it's simple. Because when you do what's right in your own eyes, and you give in to the kingdom of covet, and you ignore that still small voice, and you ignore God's law and your conscience, and you've never yielded your life to your Creator God who loves you, eventually you get in trouble. And you do stupid things. And then you look back, and it's as clear as it possibly could be. Like, how could I have been so naive? How could I have been so stupid? And you think of the missed opportunities. Imagine what he could have done with his life wholly surrendered to God. Think about all that Samson could have been, but was not. Now here's why I tell you that whole story. Because you have no idea what God wants to do in you. And you have no idea what God wants to do through you. Got no idea what God would do if you were just to say, God, I'm going to surrender my, my entire life. I'm going to entrust to you my whole heart. And God, I'll, I'll even trust you with my expressions of my sexuality. You've got no idea what God would do. And you're like, well, Rob, I'm not Samson. You know, nobody, no angel predicted my birth and you know, nobody took any vows. There's nothing special about me. And that's why I want you to listen for a second because 1,300 years after the story of Samson, another Jewish man comes along whose life had been changed by his faith in Jesus Christ. And he writes to Gentiles and to Jews the following. He says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Remember how the Holy Spirit would rest on Samson? The Spirit of God lives inside of you. The same Spirit that inhabited the nation of Israel and set Israel up for such great things if only they would obey their Heavenly Father. The same Spirit that resided on on Samson and allowed him to do such extraordinary things, except he kept getting outside the guardrails and kept going to places he never should have gone. That same Holy Spirit resides in every single one of you who is in you whom you have received from God, which means God wants to do something in you and God wants to do something through you and, and God wants to influence the people around you. And you dare not be just like everybody else. It says you are not your own. You're not your own. You are not your own. You've been set apart. You're not your own. You've been purchased. You were bought at a price. Therefore, conclusion, like this is what you're supposed to do with this. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, you are like Samson. You are like the nation of Israel. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, If you've ever put your faith in Jesus, the Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit inhabits your body. So let me ask it this way. Have you ever surrendered your body to God? Like, is there some part of your physical life where you just need to call out to God and surrender to Him? Any place in your life where just as honest as you can be right now before God, you'd have to say, you know, like Samson, there's this appetite I've been feeding. There's, there's this impulse 
I've been indulging. And it's so destructive. And maybe it's a self-control issue or just letting your anger fly whenever you feel like it. Or maybe it's the way I treat my body. Maybe like Samson, it's something sexual and you've just been kind of doing what's right in your own eyes. Would you yield your heart to God and just say, renew my mind and renew my conscience so that I see as you see, so I get in the habit of responding as you would have me respond. So that from this day forward, instead of just doing what's right in my own eye, I would do what I know is right in my own yielded heart. Because God loves you and God called you to be different, to be set apart, not like everybody else. And he has a plan and he has a purpose for you. Which is why I ask the question, do you know what God wants to do in and through you? And the answer is you don't. But I tell you what I know about you. The last thing that you want to do is one day look back on your life with regret because if only you had allowed God to invade your heart, if only you had yielded your body to the God who loves you, you would have discovered his plan for you. But if you're like Samson and you're like the nation of Israel in the sense that you just kind of keep looking around doing whatever everybody else is doing, you're going to come back to the, come to the end of your life with a, a sense of regret. And you're going to look back and, and your Heavenly Father, He has more for you than that. And He wants more for you than that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this story, which in some ways is so extreme. It's so unusual. And yet, in another way, it kind of reflects all of us. Because there's a little bit of Samson in all of us. So God, would you please just give us wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard. And Father, for the person here that, this is just so awkward. And, and I just pray, Father, that they wouldn't go out of here unchanged, that they'd have the courage to invite you into this area of their life and to surrender this area of their life and begin paying attention to doing what they know in their heart is the right thing to do. So God, give us wisdom and, and give us courage to do what you are asking us to do. Give us faith. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.